Oh, fiddle we dee with the herons heed, fiddle we dee with the herons heed. We'll mark it for loaf and sell it for breed, herons heed, loaf and breed, and all sorts of things. For all oh, the fish that swim in the sea, the heron it is the fish for me. Sing fa la la do fa la la do fa la 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 We went on to Bunkrana first, and we were a month in Bunkrana, or five weeks, I know which. We went on to it then. And we were a certain time there. We went on to Stornoway we then. We went from Stornoway to Scarborough then. We went from Scarborough to Yarmouth. Well, that finished the season Yarmouth. Well, following seasons, we went to... Um, what did I see where to go first? I think it was Hoth we went. <coughs> went to Arglass. Went to Baltimore. Went to Skull. Went to hell with head. I used to send away between fifty and sixty people, do you know? To to different parts of to the fishing ports of Lairwick, Yarmouth, Lowston. And, um, of course, they all went away for, for um, three months. Their affairs were paid from the day they left home, and they had a pound a week of um, wages. And that's, along with that, they got so much of all for cut, cutting the fish. A shilling of all. Rise up in the morning with your bundles in your hand Be at the station early or you'll surely hate the stand Got plenty to eat and a kettle for your tea Or you'll maybe die a hunger on the white Yarmouth Key Well, you went round with a car, you get a car and go round and collect them You paid them a pound of earlers, you know You, you, you signed an agreement That's the Irish word, Irish Irish, Irish what is it in English? Uh, guarantee or guarantee? Well, you couldn't lay one cure once you signed that agreement. The other man could take you back if you were signed for anybody else. Do you understand? Well, then we went to Le we went to Lerwick first out in the out in the Shetlands. That was the magic cure, and then from there you went to Hoth in Dublin, and from Dublin to to Yarmouth. And you finished up at Yarmouth. What time of the year would that be then? November. The end of November. And in Yarmouth it would be about oh, thousands of boats from all parts. There were hundreds of workers there. You got your board there for, you paid uh, seven and sixpence to a pound a week for the board. The woman, and you took in your own food, the woman cooked it for you. You would be out now at six o'clock in the morning. Go out there and come in for at nine for your breakfast. Go out again and at one. Go out then and work sometimes to six and other nights, three nights to nine a week. Three nights to six and three nights to nine. It's very, very hard work. Cruel hard work. Come in then and, the, and you frost and, and yarmouth and go miserable the cold there be in it. Well, it was no easy life. Oh, the work was hard and the hours were long And the treatment, sure, it took some burn 
There was little kindness and the gigs were many As we hunted for the shoals of Heron From the beginning of this century, fishing the herring has been an established way of life for thousands of people around the coasts of Britain and Ireland. Along the northeast coast of Scotland and the east coast of England in particular, the industry flourished, and millions of barrels of herring were prepared each year for export. As the herring shoals moved, so did the fishermen, and not only the fishermen, but huge bands of girls who worked as gutters and packers in the main fishing ports during the season. Many of the girls, and some men who found employment as both coopers and curers, were Irish, but they came, almost all, as migratory workers from County Donegal, and from a very confined area of Donegal at that. Padrigo Knaushi, social historian from Moor near Dunlow, and headmaster of Afford School on Aranmore Island. Well, the people who went to Scotland and England uh, they came from within a radius of five miles of Burton Port. Nobody, I, I think, went from the parish of Guidor to work with the fish, or from the upper parish, the parish of Upper Temple Crow, beyond Dunlow either, because they had to get to, to acquire these skills in the fishing yards or the, the curing yards of Burton Port or Kincastle, and in order to to do so, they would have to be able to walk at least to Kincastle or Burton Port. At that time, we had no cars or no transport, so therefore it was a very localised localised industry. Most of them were women, certainly, in the early years. Well, I would say most of them were women because there was more employment at that time for men, and that we regarded as a woman's work up till about the, the year 1930. And then, between 1929 and 1939, there was a depression in England, and work became very scarce and unobtainable for men. And I would think that was the time that men more or less turned to it. And in the end, we had about 75% women and 25% men. There were good reasons why so many of the migratory fish workers from Donegal should come from the Burtonport area. Along a coastline which in 1891 had practically no regular fishermen and where, except for rough salting during large takes, fish were not preserved, Rutland Island, or Inishvikadarn, near Burtonport, was the only place which could boast of a fish-curing tradition. Its fish-curing station dated back to 1785 and the Viceroyalty of the Duke of Rutland but it closed at the beginning of the 19th century when the herring just failed to appear and it never reopened. Uh, the fishing in Burtonport started about 1800, 1880, about 100 years ago. And at that time we had uh, the Donegal Fishing Company set up there at Rutland Harbour about a mile from Burtonport. The manager of that company, or the principal uh, person uh, mentioned in the regard, was a Mr Guthrie who established the fishing industry more or less in the Rosses. He brought instructors to the place and brought curers across from Scotland and showed the people of the locality how to do this work as they had no experience heretofore. Now, then came, and then uh, ten years later, about 1891, the Congested Districts Board was set up in order to help the, or to improve the conditions in the western seaboard. And they seemed to have paid great attention to the fishing industry, and especially here in the Rosses. They gave out boats, or luggers, Zulu luggers as they were called. They also gave out nets on very attractive terms. Uh, they brought instructors across from Scotland to tell the people how to fish and to handle fish and process fish and cure fish afterwards. And they also uh, set up a cooperage in Burton Port towards the end of the century 
where barrels were made and where young men were trained in the art of coopering. There were nine coopers trained in Burton Port altogether, and these men afterwards uh, taught the skills of the craft to others, and they went as well to England and Scotland and other places. Now, this continued, I think, until... Uh, the beginning of World War One, when fishing more or less ceased during the war because of conditions obtaining at that time. And uh, then after the war, well, our own government took over and the cooperage closed down. But there's one cooper still in the area, Mickey Boyle of Minbanad, who belongs to a family known as Cooperian Hedy. Uh, down there in Buttonport, there was a barrel factory there in Buttonport, and there was one family in particular belonged to... Uh, belonged to Lekena and they had the, they had their own cooperage there mm. there was Pat and there was Neddy and there was Charlie and Denny and Denny was supposed to be a good cooper he was supposed to be a good cooper over was in, in the British Empire yeah. and he went away to America and the rest of the last two men that was working at the trade was Charlie and Eddie and they're gone, you know, this last numbers of years. They're pretty so old. you're about the only man around here who could I do that job yourself now? I'm the only man that's left now. Outside the Burtonport area of the Rosses, the idea of emigrating to practice fish curing or coopering didn't catch on, even in the coastal areas, and certainly not inland. Mrs John Arnold, who lives in Clohan and comes from Falcara. Well, actually, now, you wouldn't have very much knowledge about that, about Falcara, or even about here, because quite honestly, here, this place that I live now, the only time ever they saw a herring is when somebody came round with it in a van. But uh, in the West, uh, Donegal, where they had a fishing tradition, and the, their women and their men both knew how to deal with... There was to be a salting or a packing station in Borton Port, you see, in days gone by, with the result that they knew all about it, so that in going to work in Scotland, which they did on the East Coast, and to work and clean and pack um, fish from trawlers, they had already learned the trade, you know. It was nothing new to them. It was, as a matter of fact, I believe that they, they rather liked it. They used to tell us when we were small that uh, girls who worked at... Um, fish that they had beautiful hands that the oil and the fish kept their hands beautiful I know whether that's true or not but I was told it But the fish workers themselves saw things somewhat differently Mrs Mary Boyle from Ireland's And then your, your ten fingers was all pieced What does that mean now? All pieces on your fingers you say keep you from getting them cut with a knife Sort of gloves were No, no, no just ordinary calico cloth and tied with, with hemp thread with thread the whole ten fingers if you got a cut, then it'd be pretty serious, wouldn't it? Oh, you got plenty of cuts, plenty, but you'll pay no attention to the cuts. No, no attention paid to cuts. And the fingers, at some of them, not another, not at me though, used to eat into the bone with salt. You'd see every big black hole in their and their fingers and in their hands with the salt. And would that leave a mark then? No, it wouldn't. The when they heal up, they wouldn't. But when you would go out in the morning then and go into that packing with them sore hands, go to the very heart near the pain, the pain there'd be in them. When you look at you to the into the big sores, you know, when the ground stick them down to the pick in the morning. Oh, it was cruel. John Duffy from Burtonport has fished all around the coasts of Britain and Ireland. He's an island man from Inishfree, just off Burtonport, and it was with a band of young fish workers that he first left the island maybe 50 years ago. I left on the, just a boat, a sailing boat, you all, and I was going to the 
Herringfish in that time and gotten in fact the Shetland Islands and we came to Burton Port and from there to Derry and then uh, from right across to Glasgow and that to Aber from there to Aberdeen. Of course we'd spend a night in Aberdeen and uh, then we got the next boat the boat the next day for the sh- for Lairwick in the Shetland Islands. And uh, also when we landed there in the Shetland Islands, we'd uh, were taken to these huts or there, supplied for the workers, and we'd uh, go and get our groceries then and supplies and. You didn't have to pay any. Money at all for accommodation, had you? No, none at all. None at all, only for groceries. Just that was all. We were supplied with with everything, beds and all, and uh, fire and all coal, so all we had to buy was our groceries. Was the accommodation good? Uh, well, reasonably, no, fairly good. Fairly good. Well, you done all your own cooking, you know, in the hut. But sometimes there were rats out there, you know, the Salvation Army and all these hot, all these people they used to go around looking after them as well. They'd come and they'd, uh, or they'd give you a, a, a dinner. They would give you a dinner on uh, every day of the week, and when you were finished, all you had to do was go up and put for the elect in the box. So the Salvation Army was the best crowd out there. But how about the other religious denominations? How did they fare? They were all right. They were, every crowd, they were nearly all the Salvation Army in the Accomath a lot out in, out in the Shetlands. Had you a priest there at all? Oh, we had. Oh, there were priests out in, out in the Shetlands. He, he was out for the season. There weren't many Catholics there in Lerwick at all, except a few. There used to be this big priest that used to go out to Lerwick. Oh, God, he was terrible. He was a rough priest, very rough priest. And they used to, the girls used to have to go on the, on the door and Sunday for him. To lift them to get the money. She, he wouldn't try to be afraid of the boys, he wouldn't trust the boys at the boys. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the girls are right. I, well, that's what he you know, he, he was in the war and he beat me a wee bit shell shocked, you say. And no the girls wanted to do it for, for him, you know, they were netting around because the rest of the girls would be laughing at them going around to plate you still collecting the money. They were, didn't want to do it. But they had to do it. If they didn't do it, it was something else. He didn't he didn't he wouldn't he didn't make it he's the one she's dead now, the creature and she was going round and she didn't want to go, and he says, "Do you think of anyone in the chapel take an ocean?" He says to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but they had to do it for him anyway. If attention to the spiritual needs of the fish workers seems to have been somewhat haphazard, their physical needs too were often far from adequately catered for. Mary Boyle again. There was no facilities on Wick, no toilets, no nothing in it, and it, uh, Wick was a fairly big town. Nothing in Wick. It was a dry town. Nothing. It was terrible for girls going in there. What, when you'd wash yourself, you had no foot to throw them. You had to just have buckets and go to the street with the buckets in the morning. Oh, it was a terrible place, Wick. I don't know whether all Wick was like that or not, but I know in the part we were in anyway, there was not. Mm. And she kept nine girls. And she kept fishermen too. She had a good big house. She was keeping fishermen. That's the ones that was fishing. No, I mean the accommodations in the house was good. good. There were good digs and all to that, but they had no toilets in them days and like. 
And for some people who weren't good sailors, the journey to the gutting yards was an even greater worry than the work itself or the facilities available. Mickey Joe Boyle, who organised the transport of workers from Donegal. But the boat going out was the worst. It's called the Sheila, not the Sheila, but uh, St Magnus. There'd be a crowd on that boat going out and there'd be vomiting blood going out. It was so rough. So rough. This would be from Aberdeen? From Aberdeen to Lerwick. Is it usually a, a bad passage, that? Oh, my God, sir. It's terrible. The best to say, once you go, they're waiting for us to cross the roof. The roof, they call it the same as the, the, the Paddy's Milestone round at, at Scotland. The roof, the, the, all the tides meet at the roof. She's even in the, in the sky. Were you a good sailor yourself? No. Mickey? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, my God, no, I wasn't. We, we were, the ambulance would be on the pier in the morning when they'd arrive, taking them away to the ruts. So it would take you a while then to recover before you'd actually go to work? Aye, but once you got once you got landed, you were, you, you were as healthy as a, a throat because you, got, you wobbled everything out, going out. <laughs> There's coopers there and curers there and buyers canny chills and lasses at the pickle and another's at the creel and you'll wish the fish had been all left in the sea by the time you finished got them here and on the Yarmouth Key. There were two, three in a crew, one packing and, and, and two gutting. But uh, there were different classes of cure. The magic cures you see early in June. And that they, you used no salt worth at all on the magic cure. And one man done the packing, and the other two done the gutting. The same applied to the women and the crews. And yet you're done about... Uh, them herring were cured like the day and the bay, just packed up the modern ship. There's a magic cure. But the hard cure is different. You had to wait for nine days before they were filled up and cured. What was the difference with it? Oh, they, they were a hard cure. They were a heron that, that uh, were, were full of ma- uh, round, round and melting roll. When you say hard cure, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, you cure them for America with more salt. You don't put much salt on on for the magic cure at all. No. And then they were all shipped off to America? America or Germany. Germany was the most part that time from Lerwick. That was before the war, of course. Before the war. But the, the Germans or the, or, the, or the Russians or none of them were curing on their own at all that time. They were buying oil from Britain. And then they were tearing the barrels. When the barrels were full... There was uh, two girls and one cooper tearing them three tier high. And I also my share at the, at the tearing. And that was pretty hard work. Three, them full bags, tearing them up three tier high with one man and two girls. So you did all sorts of work Yes, then. everything. You worked at the tatty hoping too, did no, you? No, I never, I think it was me one team at the tatty, one season the tatty, and that's all I very was the tatties. Well, some people say that Tatty Hoping was a, an easier job. Sure, so, much easier than the garden. Much easier because you were running, and you in the summertime, there were boots on you, there were oilskins on you, big oilers and boots. Well, in the summer out in Lairwick, the sweat would be, would be beaming, pouring out of you with the sun beaming on you, and you carrying three big full, the two big full tubs ahead and three girls, dumping them into a rousing tub, and then packing. Oh, it was cruel hard work. It was, it was very interesting to us in them days between all the girls and all the Scotchmen and everything that used to gather into Yarmouth. 
And I seen, and I'll just give you an instance, how many people was in Yarmouth when there was 1,115 drifters fishing into one port into Yarmouth. Wasn't that some boats? Yes. And there would be about maybe up to 400 Scots lassies there. And I would reckon there'd be about 250 or maybe 260 Irish girls there. They'd be mostly from Donegal, would they? They were mostly all, all, all Donegal. There were no other part of Ireland. All Donegal. How would the curing and uh, the gutting of that job compare with the tatty hoking now, another job they did a lot of? Oh, well, it was the, 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 the heron fishing was more superior. Because... For pay? For pay. The girls in them days all got a weekly wage. Upstanding. They got 25 shillings a week. And they got their ways paid all over. Doesn't matter where they were wanting to go to. They got their way paid. And another thing, they had their weekly wages then, they had their weekly wages coming to them, and the time that they'd be down in Shetland, and all them, like a Fraserburr and Peterhead, they used to stay in, in, in huts in them days. And the curer would supply them with coal, and they would have to, like, well, the girls would have to feed themselves and all yeah. the men that was there at that time. And they seem to like the life just oh, the same, even though it was a bit hard. Yes, they liked the life. Oh, they liked it. They did, they did enjoy it. Especially some of these fishing ports that were also tourist centres. Yeah, yeah it was. T- now, like, like Scarborough. I was in Scarborough and it was a tourist centre in them days. And f- all the boats, and they used to, have, used to have to close the market on both ends to keep all the visitors back wouldn't allow them to come in, you know, because it would, well, to, to annoy all the fishermen and the people who was working with hernias, putting them, putting them ashore. Scarborough was the loveliest place of the lot. Scarborough was a bony place. That was the nicest place. Well, the work would be the same in the all same, of them. The same, the work, but it was more of a... <clears throat> Scarborough was more of a tourist's place. They didn't know nothing but fishing, you know, they'd be all round, the, the farthest where the girls were gotten, all the visitors, and... The foreman, the coopers hunting, hunting them away from the farms, or keeping them back from their work. Be, they thought of sugar they're putting on the fish, you see. Is there a salt? There was a wee cooper full of hipton fife, nickety nickety noony noo, and he is taking a gentle wife. Hi, wally wally kihood, yonder gulalin, korashitiruriru. Even even you had uh, a great number of women in these fish cur- curing yards. You had to have a certain number of men as well. The coopers were men, and you had labourers as well to carry the heavy uh, tubs and so on of herring to the to and from the farlands, as they were called. The farland was a another word that we used here. It was, it was a huge trough into which the herring were dumped, and it was out of the farling that the the girls or the gutters lifted the herring in order to got them into baskets and then they were carried away uh, to be packed into barrels. It was all it was all wooden barrels, there was all all coopers that was going in them days. And the coopers made all these barrels and when they were on piecework, making the barrels. All they were getting for a, making a, 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 a that's a complete full big barrel was one and tuppence. And they used to tell me that they were making good enough money at that. And their weekly wage, their weekly wages when their coopers was out on the curing stations, they used to get six pound a week at that time, and they could make more money at the time that they were making the barrels in the factory. But you know, for you know, if you understand yourself, when they're on piecework, 
there's a different thing, you know, they had to work kind of hard. This was a highly skilled job, of course. Oh, it was a highly skilled, oh, terrible, in fact, terrible highly skilled. Because a cooper had to serve, a cooper had to serve five years for his trade. And there was a, the time the apprentices was there, they used to go out onto the curing stations for to learn along with the big, the old-fashioned coopers that had their time served to see the selections of herring and everything like that, that they were, that the girls was gotten and, you know, they would have to see them, that there would be no, that there would be no big herring. All, there were three, maybe four, five, five different grades of herring made. And to see that there'd be no big herring in among the small ones. Mickey Boyle, fisherman and cooper in his day, and now a carpenter in Dunlow. Among the fish workers' equipment which he and others like him would make was that important item, the gutter's box. It was a specially made box made by a local carpenter. As far as I remember, the lid was hinged on so that if you opened the, the lid, it, uh, the, the hinges threw back the lid or allowed the, the lid to go back. Now, it had a lock as well, a good lock as such as you would have on a, on a press or a cupboard. Good lock. And uh, it was generally painted red. Now, it carried as much as about three suitcases or probably four suitcases today. It kept the uh, worker's boots, his working clothes and anything else, any other personal belongings. Now, on the outside, they always used to rope it and uh, it carried the oilskins outside, the boots inside but the oilskins outside. And these bo- uh, boxes were very strongly built because, as you know, they had to go to Lerwick and Yarmouth and all over the... British Isles, for that reason, that have to be sturdily built. And who supplied the knives and other equipment for the gutters? Well, these would be supplied by the curer. You had big names. The big names in the curers at that time were Slater, Woods, Dunbar, and others. But uh, even here locally, we could go into any shop at that time in Burtonport or Kincastle and buy a gutter's knife. I think they cost about seven, about one and sixpence in old money. And they had a wooden handle and the, the blade would be about six inches long at a point. I will dress myself in my Sunday best and I'll make myself look funny. Then I will hie me to the key to greet my fair young Johnny. Once we came in and got washed and dressed, we never thought no more of the work till the morning came again. We were on giants at the best of sport. Way out the street and away with us and never never thought and never think of the work. Did you go to dances at all? Oh, there wasn't much dancers away in them places at that time, except in the hut out in Lair. We were plenty of dancers out there. There oh, were picture houses, of course. Well, there were picture houses. Oh, there used to be great dancers out in Lairwick. We used to have great sport out in Lairwick. Lair was the best place. Well, you, you were in Douglas, you see, and all, and Yarmouth and them other places, and you, you couldn't, you had to, you wouldn't, you would have to be in, you couldn't be out. Well, the boys and the girls wouldn't be in the same place, would no, they? No, no, they wouldn't, no, they wouldn't. But uh, maybe some, and some days they might have kept a crew of boys too, anyone's had big houses, you know, and the girls, but they would be, oh, no, no, the boys and girls never was, never was there. All of their own huts, boys of their own huts and girls of their own, it doesn't lay away. Dancing, you know, good music there, someone playing the recording, and there's well, the Highlanders, uh, such as the, from the Hebrides Islands, and 
used to have a hiding thing and all this. It was wood crack at that time, you know? Different with dances going on. Had you a pub then that you'd go to? No, no, no. It was uh, it was dry that time. It was, of course, there's lots of places I sold, plenty of beer and most oh, spirits. I didn't bother much about beer in my young days, but just get a odd bottle of screw top of beer, you know. You drank it out of the bottle? Just out of the bottle, Jeff. Well, you, you wouldn't get, drink it in the place, you, but you had to take it out. Uh, Jeffrey's, Jeffrey's number one. Is a beer? <laughs> yes, with a beer. Yeah. Well, there many girls at the work in those oh, days. Oh, lots of girls. Oh, aye. Oh, lots of girls. Oh, there's fact there's many girls, maybe in fact, maybe more in some of the yards. Uh, that time in the world than fellas. Those are all fairly all young at that time. All Maybe all mostly in teens. They might be an odd old. Ones, you know. Did they have accommodation of their own? Oh, they did. Oh, aye. the girls, sure. The girls had uh, a separate place for themselves. They just, you know, but I think about six. Six, you know, in each, each compartment. The, the, of course, the girls had all their own. Yeah. Of course, we'd mix up through them, you know, round at night through them for in case maybe a bit of dance and a bit of music. It was a very important economic because, as you know, uh, at that time, there was no employment locally, or very little, and we had no dole here, or no children's allowance, or no nothing. But the result that when these girls went to Scotland, they made money to keep the house going at home, and to buy clothes for themselves as well, and they kept the home fires burning. Well, I would say it came to an end in, uh, when the Second World War broke out in 1939, because... Uh, there, there was no fishing during the war, or very little. There was no organised fishing, and uh, the men on the trawlers were called up to do national service on the minesweepers and on the navy. And for that reason, the English fleet wasn't at sea during the war. It'd be dangerous, at least, because of the mines and all the other. And uh, when the facilities broke out in 1939, we had to depend on other uh, employment, like for the men, you had the public works in England and for the women you had domestic work in Edinburgh and Glasgow and elsewhere. I started the fish curing then after I left the, the gutton, you understand, and I was in Scotland and I got it, at one time the fish was a dumping in Barton Port, uh, there was no sale for the fish, but I went into to Huey Camel in Barton Port, who's dead now, and he was the he was the cause of getting the trying to get some for him to come in. I wrote about a hundred letters to all these f firms that I knew. With the result, I got a firm called Marin Pro Limited to come to Bortonport. They started the first curing factory in Bortonport. We cured marinating by machines then, and. 
They employed about 30 people and uh, the man who was in charge was an Englishman. He only came for a, an odd week, stayed for three or four weeks, go away, and I was left in charge in the end. I used to go to Killabegs and buy 300 crown a heron at one time. The fishing industry has changed radically compared with that of 40 or 50 years ago. It has lost its seasonal character, being no longer geared to the life cycle of the herring shoals. The herring itself has become scarce, and the whole fish processing business has been transformed since the days of the migratory workers. Now, exporters like John Campbell run big enterprises on the Donegal coast itself, with processing factories in Killy Beggs and Burton Port, and a canning factory near Dunlow. In the older days, when there was uh, quite an amount of uh, herrings particularly being landed in the Shetlands and the Fraserburgh and East Anglia areas of the UK, there was a tradition where people emigrated from here and um, gutted the fish. But uh, now that trend has stopped completely and uh, the younger people are remaining uh, at home, not alone to work in the factories, but also to fish from the vessels. Well, in this particular area of the northwest of Ireland, I have seen um, over the last 15 years tremendous changes uh, from the basic and traditional method of curing fish, that is the salting, to the more modern and sophisticated methods uh, of um, filleting and freezing uh, for cold storage purposes. Generally, these fish are exported to continental countries, which are now devoid of fish from overfishing. Where the lives of the migrant fish workers were dominated by the herring, today's fishermen and fish processors may be more committed to the factory ship, echo sounders and radar, diesel engines and refrigerators. The creel and the scrubber are now only folk memories. The gutter's knife has made way for the machine, and few will mourn for that. But what craftsman is going to wax enthusiastic about a plastic container or a plastic barrel? Oh, them plastic bottles. Uh, plastic bottles and another thing, they're the bottles, they're bottles that can't stand no abuse because after we're getting any drop, like for the old bottles that the, that the Scotch coopers was, or the Irish coopers was making in them days, after we're getting any drop at all, they'll be punctured. And that was useless. Would you say the quality of the fish even inside wouldn't be as good? No, 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 no comparison in the world. No comparison in the world. Because the herring that was cured them days all in a bottle, you know they were perfect. They were perfect. But these bottle, these herring that's getting cured in the present day, in fact, to be truthful and honest, the herring that's going about the day, the people that were going in my days wouldn't eat them. I suppose they were cured for them myself. They're that far. There is there is ten hours after a after a couple of days bed on you they'll shave you. <laughs> That's truthful. Well, there are very few coopers left nowadays. No, there's Mickey. there's no now. I would say to say to be honest speaking, there's no such thing as coopers going the day because they're only just when you kind of handy men. In fact, if a battle would bust, they couldn't repair them. Well, I seen the time that. We could bring we we I could print, take a stave out of the barrel, and head full of herring and pickle, and could put in another stave. Well, the kind of men that's going today couldn't do no that class of work. 
Well, apart from the, the plastic barrels now, Mickey, what other ways have the processes changed? Well, to give you an instance now, there's no such thing as a curing station, like what there was in them days. Every, there was curing stations, and some of the curing stations was all covered in. They were all covered in overhead, you know. Well, some of the other, some of the places then wasn't like, they like, uh, Grim, like not Grimmsby, but um, Hartlepool. Well, they were gutting the heron out just on, the, just on, just on an open, like an open field. And it was close to the harbour, you know, and, and in fact, we could almost, almost discharge out of the boat and dump the heron right into the farlands for the girls were gutting. Yeah. Well, most of the people from around here all seem to have travelled a lot in those days. Oh, there's a big change there too. Oh, my dear, dear, it's cruel altogether. Now, there's no such thing as immigration now for there was going in them days. Because between people going away to Tattyhawken and men going away looking for a day's work through farms in Britain and everything like that, you know, well, there's none of them kind of things going on today. Nothing. And in fact, I seen them here when they were going away between girls going away to the fishing and people going away to the tatty hooking. I remember the train that time was running from London Derry to Burtonport and at every station I would say to say there'd be the average of but maybe from 50 to 60 at every station waiting to get onto the train. Now the train isn't even there. There's no train there now, there's no nothing. So there were some losses and there have also been some gains since the fish workers from the Rosses used to follow the herring to Scotland and England. The girls who worked in the gutting yards seldom complained of their lot, and they may even have experienced a certain carefree enjoyment of youth and adventure. But few of them, able to look back on it today, would care to go through it all again. I wouldn't like to do it again, no, wouldn't. You come in for your nails, you done and you hold ten fingers, pieced up and smell of guts, oh, wouldn't do it now. It's early in the morning and it's late until the night Your hands are cut and chopped and they look and not the sack But you greet like a wing when you put them in the ring And you wish you were a thousand miles of waffy on the field There and cures there and buyers can chills And lasses at the pickle and another's at the creel And you'll wish the fish had been all left in the sea by the time you finish got an heron on the Yarmouth Cape. Tit fish and Lerwick and then stone away and shields. Worked along the Humber amongst the bottles and the creels. With big grims, we were traveled up and down. But the place to see the heron is the key at Yarmouth Dune. 